This past Friday was Valentine's Day, our anniversary, and uh, uh, it's great because I don't have to remember our anniversary because the stores do it for me. Uh, they put up signs everywhere, not that I think that I would forget, but uh, anyway, it, it's great. A lot of people are thinking about love. We had our Valentine's banquet last week, and, um, and so what I want to talk about today is we need to love. We need to love. And uh, many people think, well, you're going to preach out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because that's the love chapter, and no, I'm not. But it's a good chapter on love. I've included it in several weddings. We need to love. A number of Christians struggle with a variety of issues relating to their walk with God. On the spiritual journey toward eternal life, there are choices in our lives that we are required to make because circumstances that we encounter make it necessary. These decisions about, are about our personal conduct and our behavior. And so there's a couple of questions that I want to pose to you today. Number one is, how is a Christian really supposed to live? How is a Christian really supposed to live? And number two, should our lives be any different than those of our friends? And I didn't put family, but you can put family up there. Friends, family, and acquaintances who do not know God. So how is a Christian really supposed to live? And should our lives be any different than those of our friends, family, and acquaintances who do not know God? Should our lives be different? These are both questions that can be difficult to answer if we rely upon human thoughts and opinion. There are several instances in your Bible where uh, it starts off a story by telling you that a certain individual or a certain group of people did what was right in their own eyes. And if we use our own thoughts and opinions and judgment as a standard... I would submit to you that it does not measure up to the full potential that God has for us and the desire that He has for us. As Christians, we know that we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for the forgiveness of our sins. But what happens between when we begin following Jesus and when we die? How do we live during this unknown window of time? Because none of us knows exactly how long we have. Any of us in this room could be our last day today. You never know what's going to happen. Tragically, a short time ago, there were some high school students in Moore that were, that were uh, just jogging for cross country. They were practicing and a car hit them. Three of them are now dead. Teenagers. Tragedy strikes, and we don't get a pick. We were delayed a bit yesterday as we uh, went to Branson, or we were we were leaving Branson. Some of you are thinking, "What was he doing down there?" I was tying my shoe. <clears throat> um, 
As we left Branson yesterday, Annette had ordered a shirt, which if you come tonight, you'll get to see this great shirt that is a description of her grandmotherhood. That's all I'm going to say. It's a beautiful shirt. So it was custom made, and it's, a, it's fascinating to watch these machines do this embroidery and things like that. But anyway, um, but uh, the guy told us that it takes us a couple of hours to do it, so we went and ate, and we came back, and two hours later, it was uh, they had problems with the machine, and they were just starting it, or just about to start it. And so about 30, 45 minutes later than we anticipated, uh, leaving Branson yesterday uh, is when we actually left. And Annette made this statement. She said, there must have been a delay for a reason. We never know what the reason is. God could be keeping us from something tragic or something that we need not to be involved in. We just never know. We just never know. Now, I'm not going to say that I know for certain that that's what happened, but it could have been. There are certain times in my life when I have seen, you know, if I had left the house on time this morning, I could have been in that wreck right there. And I, and I, I was hating to be late. But what happens between when we give our heart to Jesus and when we die? How do we live during the lifespan that we're here on earth? In the Old Testament... Living by the Ten Commandments was the key to pleasing and living for God. And Jesus came, he said, to fulfill the written law of the Ten Commandments in Matthew 5.17. This is what Jesus said. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's what Jesus said. When we make the most important decision that we can make by accepting Jesus and we turn our lives over to God, then we make a commitment to surrender our lives to Him as well. The old song that says, Jesus be the Lord of all, the kingdoms of my heart. I would submit to you that unless He is Lord over all of our life, He cannot be Lord over any of our life. As I mentioned we cannot rely upon human thought or opinion to determine how to live, but we rely upon what? We rely upon the Word of God. This book right here is the standard of faith and conduct for the believer. Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, you will obey what I command. You will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. What does that mean? It means we need to do what Jesus said. You know, if you really love me, then you'll keep my commands. So what would the reverse of that be? If we don't do what he says, then we really don't love him? That's kind of what I get out of it. So this Bible, the Word of God, is what will tell us as Christians how we are supposed to act and live, but above all, we need to love. The definition of love, which I've shared many times, is a strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties, the object of attachment, devotion, or admiration. All of those combined together is really love. Strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. The object of attachment, devotion, or admiration. We need to love. 
Now we finally get to Mark 12. You probably wondered when we get to, when, when I started with a different scripture, I thought he said Mark 12. Yes, I did say Mark 12, and here it is. Mark 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? <laughs> the most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus started out the statement in verse 28. The most important one is this. In verse 28, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was a direct quote from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and it was referred to as the Shema, or the Shema, which is a classic declaration of God's monotheistic character. Monotheistic simply means that he's the one, the only, the true God, which is the doctrine that God is that God is one true God, not an assortment or a pantheon of different gods, and is all-powerful among the gods and spirits of the world. And, in, in, and I think I put uh, Deuteronomy 6.4 in there. This declaration that God is one true God sets the stage for what will follow. This is the foundation to the most important commandment. Because if God is not the one true God, the commandments really don't mean much. If He's the one true God, then they mean everything in the world. But if He's not, it doesn't really matter. And then we go on to Mark 12, 31. Jesus said the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandments than these. That's a direct quote from Leviticus 19 and 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So you see how Jesus said, I came to fulfill the old covenant. He was tying his very mission and the statement that which of these commandments are the greatest, he was tying that way back to the Old Testament and bringing that forward to now. That this ties together beautifully because that was God's desire and commandments then and it's still true today, but those two carry more weight than anything else. We need to love. We continue on in our story, Mark 12, 32. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. I find that fascinating. 
because they knew he was giving them the foundation of what their faith and what their relationship should be to God and to everyone else. And I think they were afraid. Well, it said they were, they didn't, they didn't dare ask. I think they were afraid to ask him. Because it's like they just, he just read this guy's mail and he was giving the message out for everyone to hear. And 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 you know, can you imagine? Okay, who else has got a question? You're like, nope, nope, not me. The man in this passage of Scripture was a teacher of the law. He knew the Word of God better than the average person living on the street. He would be like a biblical scholar. He would have gone to years and years of training to know what the Word of God said. So when Jesus gave the references that tied back generations to the Old Testament, He automatically knew. He didn't have to look it up. He automatically knew what he was talking about. He sincerely wanted to know which of all the Ten Commandments that he'd regularly followed was the most important. And I believe it was his desire to make sure that he followed whichever one it would, would be more, uh, and, and he would be more determined to follow the one he thought was the most important. He would prioritize. Have you ever heard of prioritizing? It's like, well, it's kind of like our faith in the Lord. You know, we prioritize things in our Christian life. Things are foundational. Going to church, reading your Bible, and praying. Those are foundational. If you don't do those things in your Christian walk, then the other things really won't make much difference. And Jesus presents the greatest commandment in verse 30. He said this, Love the Lord your God. This is not based on an event of the past, but the greatest commandment is to love. Present tense, love the Lord our God. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6 and verse 5, which was the other reference, says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We need to love. We need to love God. How? With all A double L, with all of our heart, which is our in all of our inward affections. We need to love with all of our heart, all of our inward affections, with all of our soul, which is all of our consciousness. That means the things that we think about, the things that we focus on consciously, decidedly, with all of our soul all of our intellect with all of our mind with all of our which is all of our thoughts everything that we think about should be running through the foundation and the filtration of scripture and with all of our strength lastly which is all our energy both physically and emotionally everything we have within us all of our energy both physically and emotionally what God asks of all those who believe in Christ is to receive His salvation is, is devoted love. That's what He asks. Devoted love. Love that is directed specifically at our Heavenly Father. If we truly love God, we will not be ashamed from identifying with Him even to the point of ridicule or suffering for the faith or being persecuted because of our relationship. Well, I've never been persecuted for my faith. Well, maybe we haven't 
gone out far enough for our faith. Maybe we haven't made it known about our faith. And I'm not suggesting that we have to tell everybody that we're a Christian, but I think our lives should matter and our lives should match up to the Word of God so that others will know and the opportunities, the divine appointments that He puts into our pathway, that we will take those divine appointments and we will do something with them and point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that would open up me for ridicule. Absolutely, it will. One thing that Annette and I pray before we take a trip anywhere, we pray, we pray, Lord, if there is a divine appointment that you have for us, let us recognize it and let us make the most of it for your glory. Our love for God must be a dominating love inspired by his true love for us. He gave his son for our sakes. In Romans 8.32 it says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. We must love Him more than anything or anyone else in this world. Some may say, and you may have heard people say, well, this certain person, they're just the center of my world or they're the center of my universe. For a follower of Jesus Christ, this cannot be. We must love Him more. Now, I've got to tell you, Annette is the most important person on the face of this earth in my life. But she's not the most important relationship that I have. Nor am I to her. The most important relationship I have is with Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. He must be the center of our world and the center of our universe. Our love must be the kind of love expressed in 1 Corinthians 6.20. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. In 1 Corinthians 10.31 it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Words cannot express the true gift that He has given, the gift of love. Ephesians 5.1 and 2 says, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live, here it is, a life of love and live a life of love at the end of verse 1 I think it says that it says live a life of love can we go back to verse 1 there we go it doesn't say that on this one follow God's example as dearly loved children oh in verse 2 there it is and live a life of love there it is walk in the way of love one translation says live a life of love Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We are living in a time when most people will reject God. His word, which represents his holy standard of living. Our, our love for God must include an allegiance and a loyalty to Him and His righteous standards. We must also desire and long for His presence in every part of our lives. So first, what the Scripture said, we have to love Him with everything within us. 
And the second greatest commandment, Jesus could have stopped at the first, and that was all he was asked, was about the first, but he went the next step, and he felt it important enough to include this one because they go together, and he said this in verse 31, the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. So love your neighbor as yourself. Let's see what the Word of God says about loving each other. In Galatians 6.10, it says, Therefore, we have the opportunity. Let us do good to some people. No, to all people. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, May the Lord... Make your love increase and overflow for each other and for choice select other people. No, it says for everyone else, just as ours does for you. So everyone else. And do you know this? We're even supposed to love our enemies. Matthew 5.44 says, love your enemies. This is what Jesus said. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This kind of love for others can only happen in our lives when we love the Lord. Because it is not human nature. It goes far the other direction to try to love somebody who persecutes us and is mean to us and is hateful towards us. I want you to look at a scripture that most of you probably know fairly well. There's been songs written about it. I've heard messages preached about it. I preach messages about it. Mark 11, 23. Mark 11, 24. It says this. Have faith in God. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Many people rejoice and they shout hallelujah when they hear these two verses or they read them. They get excited because it tells us about how God answers prayer. And we've been told that we've been told to stand on the word of God, pray the word, and I've said it many times over the years that there is no more powerful prayer than when you pray the word of God. And that is true. It's absolutely true. You look at Jesus' example in Luke chapter 4 when he was dealing with the enemy in the wilderness. He he put the word toward the enemy. And that's what we're supposed to do. It's a hundred percent true. But one thing I learned in Bible school is that we should not take a scripture out of context. In other words, we can't make a scripture fit a particular personal desire when it will change the meaning of what that scripture really says. So Mark 11.23 does mean exactly what it says. But it cannot be used without Mark 11.25. And here's what Mark 11.25 says. And, which connects to Mark 11.24, 
And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. That's a tall order right there. I can't love that person, let alone forgive them. Do you know what they did to me? I understand this scripture. And if I understand it correctly, if we don't forgive those that have wronged us, then our Heavenly Father cannot forgive us either. There have been more people that have been hung up on unforgiveness. Unforgiveness has unraveled people's lives. Unforgiveness has caused people to lose out with God. Unforgiveness has called, caused a wall to be erected in someone's life that they cannot get any further in their relationship with God. They cannot get any further because of unforgiveness. And when they get when they strive to be closer to God, God says, there's this unforgiveness you need to deal with. I've had people tell me that um, they wouldn't go and make things right or they would just avoid a person, but they wouldn't forgive. Matthew 5, 21 through 24, Jesus said this, you have heard it you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in, da in danger of the fire of hell. I want to stop right there for just a moment. The word raka is an Aramaic term of contempt. In his sermon entitled The Second Sin, former AG General Superintendent George O. Wood describes it this way. Its use is similar to a racial expletive in modern times. It serves to insult someone. It serves to insult someone. Throwing out hateful terms and words toward other people. Verse 23 says, therefore, which connects the last verse to this verse, therefore, in light of all that, if you are offering your gift to the, and, at the altar and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that God does not want anything from you until you make things right. I will not accept anything that you bring to me. Any praise, anything else, I will not accept it until you make things right. Because the second greatest commandment was we need to love each other. I know that's tough. But that's what the Word of God says. We're either Christians or we're not. We either live by the Word of God or we don't. We either forgive or we can't be forgiven. That's what the Word says. <coughs> Colossians 3, 9 
says this, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices, which is what we do when we are saved. We take off the old self, the old way of living. Verse 10 says, And having put on the new self, the new you in Jesus Christ, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of the Creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dear, dearly loved, clothe yourselves. That means get spiritually dressed with these things. Compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Oh, and here it's just jumping off the page. And forgive one another if you have any, if any of you has had, has a grievance against someone. Someone means really anyone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And, and over all these virtues, put on love. Why? Because it binds them all together in perfect unity. So what he's saying is that what is bound together? What it's talking about in verse number 12 Love binds all of those things together. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You have a problem with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, or patience. If you cannot operate in those areas, it's likely, likely to do with the fact that love is not being expressed through your life. Because love makes all of those things possible. When you have a love for people, you see that whenever somebody is going through something, it's not, well, they made their bed, they can just lie in it, bless God. No, it's not, man, that is so tragic. And if I have the ability to do something about it, I'm going to do something about it. Maybe I can't monetarily do anything, and that's okay. We can pray. We can have conversations. We can encourage. We can lift people up. I don't want to lift them up. They were bad to me. Jesus didn't say. He said, those who persecute you, you're supposed to pray for them and you're supposed to bless them. Many times, unless you've been in the ministry, then you may not be aware of some of the things that ministers and pastors face. There are people that the enemy uses to try to derail, to try to maybe make work in the house of God more difficult. There are people who attack personally. 
but an amazing thing happens. Ministers and pastors are no different than anybody else. We're human. We have the same or similar emotion. We have the same emotions and similar thoughts probably that everybody else has to deal with. It's human nature when somebody comes out and says something to you that's derogatory or does something that you hear about that's derogatory. The first instance, the first response is, oh yeah? I like to give them a piece of my mind. But I've seen an amazing thing that's happened. That when we take it to Jesus first, and we begin to pray for those without taking it into our own hands, then an amazing thing happens. We have seen people that have said harsh things, people who have behaved in unscriptural manners. And when we prayed for them and when we showed love in spite of what our human emotions wanted to do, we saw God do some amazing things and bring people around. People have come to us and ask for forgiveness of how they behaved from, and, and from no prompting from us. The Holy Spirit does an amazing thing. And it's not just about us, it's about others. God will take care of those individuals if you just do your best to love them and show his compassion and concern. I'm just about ready to close this message out. How can we love like this, which binds all together in unity? Verse 15 of Colossians chapter 3 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's how you do it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let him be the ruler of your heart. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. There it is. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the message, the the word of God dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. You point all of your praise to Him, and you encourage each other. And through that, you will have the fullness. You will be able to have the love of Christ. That's why we come together. We encourage each other. We lift each other up. We build each other up. We rejoice. We worship together. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the, to God the Father through Him. If we look back in our main text of Mark 12 and verse 33, the teacher of the law stated that to love like Jesus is more, is said, that Jesus said is more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices to which Jesus replied in verse 34. He said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, he was getting it. The love that must be shown from within us toward God and toward everyone else is a contrast to many other beliefs. They, they say they can serve God with the mind or thoughts only and so claim that that one can be holy in spirit and not in body or soul, but we cannot dissect the various parts of who we are and we can separate them. 
our soul, our heart, our mind, our strength. We serve Him with all of these. We don't just serve Him with one component, with all of those things, which is the essence of surrender in all the areas of our lives. When we get to this degree of understanding and practice, then we realize that going through any other religious exercise or motions or, or, or of worship do not matter without unrestrained and unconditional love from, from, for both God and for each other. We need to love. We need to love each other. Present tense. We need to love. The Really the foundational statement of our church, the mission statement of our church is loving God, serving all with compassion which means with the same love that we love God, even to those who don't deserve it. Because when you really think about it, none of us deserve it. None of us deserve the love of God. But He is a God of mercy and grace, and He gives His love richly. We need to love God first, and then others so that we can see the fulfillment of what he wants to do, not only personally, but in other people's lives. And it's an amazing thing. Love is a choice. I heard a story one time where spouses were talking about each other and they said, well, we're just not in love anymore. Love is not a condition. It's an action. Choose to love. Corey Ten Boom was an amazing woman. She was in a concentration camp during World War II. And during her time in confinement, she began to have kind of a, an affection, I guess you would, for just the smallest thing, a bug that would come into the room. I know that sounds a little bit odd, but in a place where no other life existed in that room that she was confined in, she began to think about God and think about His love and think about His goodness. If you were put into a room that had nothing at all, you had nothing except the room that you're in. No access to anyone else or anything else and you were left just there with your thoughts would your thoughts gravitate toward the situation probably but would your thoughts gravitate toward God and how he is good in spite of everything because he is a good God he's a God of love we need to love more like he did amen father I thank you for your word I thank you, Lord, for the reminder that we need to love and we need to love more. I ask, oh God, that you would just touch our hearts as only you can. Lord, we know that there are situations and circumstances that are difficult. 
Sometimes we have to deal with situations and people that aren't very pleasant. But Lord, you can help us as we continue to strive toward looking to you, loving you, and allowing your love to to flow through us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.